Hello everyone and welcome back to Toronto True Crime. I am your host Laura and welcome to episode 4. I have some exciting news. This podcast is now live on iTunes and that process was a lot harder than I thought it would be. I put a lot of effort into getting this live on iTunes. So if you are listening on iTunes or you're listening on SoundCloud, uh, if you could go and subscribe or review or leave a rating, it would be so appreciated and I would love you forever. So for tonight's case, I will be covering a case that has had a resurgence in the media as of late, but it actually stretches back to 2010. So it's quite an undertaking. It's quite a long story. So please bear with me. I've also had the opportunity to discuss this case with a lot of people because it is in the media, so it is more well-known, and I've actually filled them in on the details of the case, and they're all astounded to hear it, and these are people who live in Toronto. So tonight I will be covering the disappearance of men from Church and Wellesley, also known as Toronto's Gay Village. I'm going to start with a little bit of history. I've had some feedback that... Some of you do like to hear the history of the places that I will be discussing, and because Church and Wesley plays such a big role in this story, I thought it would be good to delve into a little bit of how it came to be the epicenter of the gay culture in Toronto. So in the early 1800s, a Scottish merchant named Alexander Wood purchased 25 acres of land, which is in current day uh, would be Young Carlton and it extended north to Wellesley and east to Church. I found this quite fascinating. I actually had no idea about this, but in 1810, Wood was involved in a scandal when it was discovered that he used his position of power to make sexual advances towards other men. So nothing was eventually proven, but Wood left town to escape the controversy, but he did come back in 1812. His land was then mockingly referred to as Molly Wood's Bush, and Molly was a derogatory term for homosexual. Wood died in 1844 and then his land was redeveloped and they named two streets after him. So that would be Alexander and Wood Streets. In spring 2005, a statue of Wood was erected at Church in Alexander to honor him as a forefather of Toronto's modern gay community. I've seen this statue and it's funny because it really stands out amongst the storefronts and the rest of the gay village and I always wondered huh what is that and now I was happy to find out what it is and it's it's fun that he gets uh, dressed up during pride and people will leave rainbow color blaze on him uh, so they are constantly play, paying homage to him so when the depression hit in the 1920s the church of Wellesley community became a seedy rooming house strip and it wasn't until the 1950s that gentrification lifted the neighborhood back up in 1954, Toronto's first high-rise apartments called City Park were developed between Alexander and Wood Streets. Toronto high-rises are, I live in one actually, what sort of happened was as the subway was built north along the Young Street corridor, apartments went up with it. You'll see a lot of high-rises built in the late 50s and early 60s, the further north you move along Young. So it was fun to learn that little fact about Toronto and its history with high-rises. So in a uh, an article I found, there was a quote about this that said, quote, These spaces offered single people an opportunity to move away from family into affordable rental spaces downtown, offering them an opportunity to live their lives with more freedom, 
Many happen to be gay men and women. I didn't know that, but that makes a lot of sense from a sociological perspective. Back then, it would have been affordable to live in the church in Wellesley High Rises. Right now, I mean, it's probably $2,000 a month. Bachelors are going for insane amounts of money. But back then, it was the norm that you moved out of your parents' quote northern home. So the northern reaches of Toronto back then would have been Eglinton and north of there and more into the downtown core, so around Church and Wellesley. So moving into the 70s, the epicenter of the gay community in Toronto was Church Street and it was because more businesses found more affordable spaces on the street. Just as a little side note, the Government of Canada didn't decriminalize homosexuality until 1969. The gay community was existing with a lot of concentration around Church and Wellesley, and there was one notorious date in 1981 where Toronto's gay community was rocked to its core after monumental raids on five downtown bathhouses. So police arrested over 300 gay men, charging them as keepers or foundants of a common body house. Back in the 80s, I wasn't really familiar with the um, gay landscape in Toronto. I wasn't born until 1987. I've always existed in a Toronto where Church and Wellesley has been a very welcoming place to everyone, not just hom homosexuals or queer or trans people. So I was really surprised to hear about this, that as late as the 80s, police were arresting men for basically socializing in these bathhouses. This was, I think, the, one of the, quote, efforts, I use that term very lightly, to clean up that stretch of the city because Young and Dundas moving south and then Church moving south was quite seedy. So to this day... The Church and Wellesley neighborhood, it's undergone, in the last 20 years, a lot of transformations. It's still very much a safe, accepting neighborhood and a social hotspot for many LGBTQ, LGBTQ youth and adults from Canada. Their gay scene has spread out in the city. Um, Dundas West has become, I mean, it's not as much the epicenter from a historical perspective, I'd say, that it is. But there's a lot of queer-friendly places in and around the city. It's not just confined to this one part, which I find fantastic. So what's happening now is with Toronto and its real estate and just all the de development that's going on, a lot of big box stores have been trying to move into that area because it's very valuable real estate. And the neighborhood and the community are basically saying, no, stay out. We want independently owned stores which I that's another thing about Toronto which is kind of grinding my gears is that these neighborhoods that are eclectic and they're very very they have so much character to them are slowly being wiped out by these really boring big box stores and the residents of Church and Wellesley are very actively against this so that's one thing that's really important also to this case is that this community really rallies around each other and they're very vocal about the safety of the area and they're very protective of each other and to me that makes so much sense it's a really warm wonderful neighborhood so please don't let this story put you off from visiting that part of the city and socializing and dining and having fun it's really a fantastic spot in the city so let's get into the case this is about the missing men 
from Church and Wellesley. So our first case starts with someone named Skanda Navaratnam. He is 40 years old and he went missing on September 16, 2010. So what I could find was that he left a club or bar, I'm not sure what it would be designated as, called Zippers. And he was spotted leaving with an unknown man. And the coverage that I could find about the information around his disappearance was this, and this is a quote, the pair stumbled onto Carlton Street, a nondescript drag of diners, drugstores, and dry cleaners on the fringes of Toronto's gay village, just around the corner from the flashy rainbow flag-laden bars of Church Street. It was a chilly Monday morning, but since it was Labor Day, there was no reason not to celebrate. So please note that this happened on a long weekend. It was a holiday weekend in Toronto, Labor Day. So his family and friends report that it wasn't unusual for Skanda to disappear for a couple days at a time, but after about three days, his friends and family start to get a little bit concerned. So they went to Skanda's house and they also checked a cottage that he was known to visit and there was no sign of him. So his friends put up posters around the city and they walked through a park that lies just east of the village searching for a body and nothing turned up, no sign of him. And that's pretty much it. The second man that went missing was named Basir Faizi. He's 44 years old and he went missing on December 29th, 2010. Note the date. It was between Christmas and New Year's. So that is usually a holiday. People have that off of work. So his car was found abandoned in the Church in Wellesley Village, which is also where he was last seen. And according to the police, his bank records show that he last used his debit card at the Hero Burger on Church Street. So the reports about his disappearance are this. Faisy emerged into an alleyway just three blocks north. It was four days after Christmas and just below freezing. He told his wife that he would be grabbing drinks with co-workers. Instead, he spent his evening at Steamworks and then only bathhouse, tucked just off the main drag of the strip. Clearly, Mr. Faisy was in the closet. He was married and he had children. That also will come into play when we kind of get into theories. So less than two weeks later, police found his car about a 10 minute drive, to, drive away and it was parked next to Mount Pleasant Cemetery which is um, in the city's north end. It would be, from a driving perspective, it would only take, it, honestly, if there's no traffic, five minutes, you'd go straight up Jarvis, and Jarvis turns into Mount Pleasant. Apparently located just adjacent to a park frequented by gay men looking for discreet relations. So clearly, he was, by all accounts, living a lie, and he would sneak off to the village after work. And according to police, he had no deep roots in the gay community. He was just a face that regulars recognized. So because of this and because of the fact that I think his family became very, very private and withdrawn after this was found out about him, there was no community response and there was no search party. The third man that went missing was named Hamid Kayan and he was last seen on October 14th, 2012, which is Canadian Thanksgiving, another holiday. So 58-year-old Hamid Kayan was... Um, a regular in the village. The community started to get worried after he stopped showing up at his places where he would frequent. And then apparently after about a week of not hearing from him, his son reported him missing on October 14th. So that was the date of his, they, that he reported to the police, but I 
think, who knows when he actually disappeared. So his family says that they knew nothing of his after work visits to the village. He lived in the village itself and he was a known person in the neighborhood. According to people in the community who knew him, he lived two lives, one straight uh, with his family and then a totally separate life in the gay village, which is interesting. At this point, the similarities were striking. Obviously, I'm going to put links to the Toronto Police uh, cold case reports on these men, but they're all, they look very similar in appearance and stature. And so two men are from Afghanistan and one is from Sri Lanka, but they all have very similar uh, coloring and builds. So they finally started to kind of make a connection in June 2013, and Toronto Police publicly announced this suspicious connection. The common question is foul play suspected. It's unclear. Still, that's created a sense of unease amongst residents who say the gay village is known to be a safe neighborhood. There is an assumption of safety in this neighborhood for LGBT people, for women, for all kinds of folks. With posters now up around the neighborhood, local residents are on the lookout. Yeah, it is a little bit scary to know that three people vanished. It's really, really saddening. It's really disheartening. And police have now set up a special hotline for anyone who may know what happened to the men here in this neighborhood at Church in Wellesley. That number is 416-808-5110. So as you heard in the news report, they did uh, start a task force, which they called Project Houston. So they appealed to the public in Canvas, the Church Street Corridor. They put up a lot of missing persons posters. And according to police, they conducted more than 100 interviews, searched for similar cases across North America, executed search warrants, obtained fake statements, and tracked cell phones. Also, according to Toronto Police, they can't call it a cold case because there are no bodies. So missing persons cases, unlike homicide cases, cannot be categorized as cold. Obviously, after... These three, and again, I'm not sure if they linked the cases with anything more than just the similarities around the men's lifestyles and the fact that they went missing from Church and Wellesley and their disappearances. There might be more concrete evidence to suggest that this was the work of the same person, but if so, then that hasn't been made public. The last information about these three men was found in 2015 and then no new information was released. Between 2015 and the summer of 2017, there really wasn't any media coverage about these men. There's been nothing that's turned up, no more information has been found, and literally no media coverage. For these disappearances to come back into the public consciousness, another man had to go missing. It's been very emotional. It's been been very uh, strange. You know, I've only known Andrew a short time, but I mean like, Even I can say that this is, you know, very much not like him. Friends of Andrew Kinsman are concerned for his safety. He was last seen near his home in Cabbage Town last Monday, and since then no one has heard from or seen him. Detectives are starting to think that uh, it is a suspicious disappearance. That's because the disappearance is completely out of character for the 49-year-old. Andrew is a really sweet guy. He's he's very considerate. I think the first week that I uh, I moved in, um, he presented me. He bakes a lot, so he he gave me some cheesecake that he had made. Friends say Kinsman is well known and liked in the community. Has a job and volunteers at a food bank. He also has a cat that he loves and always makes sure it's taken care of. But the cat was found in his apartment with no food or water after days of being alone. So. As you heard in the report, Andrew Kinsman, he's 49 years old, and he went missing 
June 26, 2017, which was Pride. He was last seen in his Cabbage Town neighborhood of Parliament, Winchester, which is very, very close to the church in Wellesley Village. But uh, as was mentioned in the report, he had a very strong connection to that area and the gay community. He worked at the Toronto HIV AIDS network. So according to police, there has been no activity on his bank account or cell phone since he went missing on June 26. When researching this case, I found out that actually a fifth man had actually gone missing and there hadn't been a lot of media coverage about him. Salim Hassan, he's 44 years old, and he was last seen on April 15th on Ted Rogers Way. Police report that he was well known to frequent the Church and Wellesley area as well as Kensington Market. Hassan, who came to Canada from Turkey three years ago, had just completed a week-long peer counseling course at St. Stephen's Community House in Toronto a month before he was last seen. His disappearance has now been linked to these cases. Obviously, the concern in the public has been growing and police decided to hold a town hall meeting to address these disappearances. They are disappearances shrouded in mystery. Cases of missing men in Toronto's gay village, two in just the last few months. Tonight, members of the community gathered at a town hall meeting, showing support for the families while also seeking answers. Let's go to CTV Sean Leithong, who is live in the village tonight. Sean, is there a growing sense of concern? Concern and frustrations are right. Many of these people who came here were uh, friends of one of the victims, and they just don't have any of those answers that they're looking for. The tables were set up. Discussion boards were made with seating capacity for dozens to talk about men who have gone missing from the gay village in Toronto over the past number of years, primarily focused on one, the disappearance of Andrew Kinsman. I don't want to see... I don't see it anymore. Basically, I've had enough. But I, I do hope that he's okay. Cameras weren't allowed to film the meeting at the 519 on Church Street, where over 50 people came to help, including Kinsman's family members. I never thought that it would ever happen to our brother. You know, you, you hear about people go missing, but you never think it's going to affect you. Karen Coles and Patricia Kinsman are Andrew's sisters. Kinsman went missing on June 26th. He'd been attending Pride celebrations. Since then, the area around his house has been covered with missing posters. As you can see, in this particular town hall, the police were not involved. And it, was, it wasn't until public pressure mounted that they actually decided to establish a task force related to this. And another friends of the 49-year-old have been working hard with police in an effort to find the employee of the Toronto HIV AIDS network. So she and others here are relieved. A seven-person task force has now been set up specifically to investigate the disappearance of Kinsman. And another man, 44-year-old Salem Essen, both very familiar with the church Wellesley Village. To date, we've had no evidence to suggest that they're linked, but we're certainly not excluding that as a possibility. Salem Essen was last seen on April 14th near Young and Bloor. Police say he frequents this street, Ted Rogers Way, and like Kinsman, was active on social media dating sites. Kinsman's friends say he was on dating sites called Growler and Scruff. I was hoping uh, the, the police would put more effort in uh, trying to solve this mystery. Uh, it's, it's really worrisome. The disappearance of three men from the same area between 2010 and 2012 will not be the focus of this task force. I was a little surprised and disheartened to hear that they would not be connecting the three men's disappearances from 2012, sorry, 2010 to 2012 to these two cases. They said in this report that that Project Houston task force that they launched in 2013 wrapped up in 2014 
with absolutely no closure whatsoever. So I am recording this on November 15th, 2017. And essentially what's going on right now is there's not a lot of media coverage about this, but I have been looking around the internet and I looked into a group on Facebook that Andrew's friends and family had started. They're still actively searching different areas where they may find something. They tried to do a search every weekend and so far nothing has been turned up. The last information I could find was that there were no cell phone records or bank transactions made. So he's just basically fallen off the face of the earth. There are a couple of theories I'd like to mention. Number one, and the biggest one that I've seen when poking around the internet, is that this is the work of a serial killer. Now, I don't want to say serial killer because no bodies have been found, so it's hard to say that definitively. But when looking at the dates of when all of these men went missing, the first three men, as I mentioned, one went missing Labor Day weekend, another Thanksgiving weekend, and a third um, in the break between Christmas and New Year's. Andrew Kinsman went missing during Pride festivities, and Salima Son seems like a bit of an outlier, but he went missing in April. No, actually, that's Easter weekend. He went missing Easter weekend. Okay, so there you go. That's five are all linked to very definitive holidays. And I'm surprised that that hasn't been mentioned. I really don't think that that's a coincidence. I mean, that's pretty, that's a pretty consistent pattern. That and the fact that at least four of these men all have a very, very specific look to them. It's very possible that there is a person targeting these men and murdering them. And I think the fact that these are all happening on long weekends or holiday weekends is unbelievable. When I was thinking about how that may play into it, number one, I thought, okay, this could be a person with a nine to five job who has work commitments, but these long weekends give this person the time to troll the church in Wellesley Village, find a victim, and do what they need to do. It's also possible that they have a family and the family goes out of town, or this person can disappear on long weekends and have an easy explanation for it. Or they're not from Toronto and they come into Toronto for holidays because their family lives here. I think there are a lot of avenues that can be explored through these dates. And I haven't seen any mention of it through the police. Um, there's been on web sleuths, one person made that connection as well. But I think that's a big red flag. I think this is very likely and probable. I mean, there's too many coincidences from me that say there is a person preying on these men. Uh, I've seen another theory that the three men that went missing, they weren't very out in their gay lifestyle. And somebody mentioned they thought that because of these men's background, and nowhere does it mention them being Muslim, but that they were killed by their families because they were living a homosexual life. Uh, that seems a little bit, I think that that would be very obvious if that's what had happened. The third theory is that these men disappeared willingly. According to everything that I found, all five men had ties to the community, ties to friends and family, they had jobs, and all of their social media has stopped their cell phones, there's no records anymore since the days they went to, they disappeared. No 
uh, bank account records, and one person's car was found. It just, it doesn't seem like these men would just walk away from their lives. That brings me to the most likely conclusion that it is one person who is responsible for all of these disappearances. I'd love to hear what you guys think, you know, your theories and opinions on this are. It should be, I think, more widely reported. Again, every episode I come back to the same point. The police should be releasing inf more information. The media should be doing more coverage. The fact that it's the men that went missing between 2010 and 2012 are a footnote. Salim Hassan, who went missing just a couple of weeks before Andrew Kinsman, isn't openly discussed. I mean, that's a problem. I'm increasingly frustrated when I'm dealing with Toronto cases. I had no idea I lived in a city where it just, this stuff doesn't seem to matter. People that are responsible for Andrew Kinsman's, they're doing the searching all by themselves. It's a grassroots operation. I know that you can volunteer to help them out searching different areas of the city. They are very, very open on social media about their efforts to locate Andrew. The Facebook group is called Find Andrew Kinsman, and I've had the opportunity to briefly talk to one of the people who organizes these searches, and they're always looking for more people to come out and help. As always, anyone with information on the disappearance of any of these men is asked to contact 416-808-5100 or Crime Stoppers anonymously at 416 222-8477 and if you have any information I implore you to come forward because this is a huge this is five people's lives that are seemingly snuffed out. I hope you've all enjoyed this episode of Toronto True Crime. If there are any updates in regards to this case I will post them. I'm thinking of starting some sort of social media just so I can keep track of the updates on these cases because there's they're unsolved and they're cold so if there's any updates I'd love to share them with you guys my listeners if you're listening on iTunes if you could five star me or four star or three star or two star any rating is so appreciated um, any review feedback I love feedback let me know how you think this podcast can be improved what you like about it and as always, stay safe, Toronto, and I will see you next week.